Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Well, good morning. How are you? Good? Welcome to Renaissance. If we haven't met, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's so great to see all of you. Um, we're going to be spending some time in our Bibles this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's all good. There's a hardback black Bible underneath the seat close to you. You can use that Bible if you want to. And if you have no framework of where things are in the Bible, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So turn to page 3 in that book and you can find Genesis chapter 4. Um, and if you don't want to follow along in a Bible, that's all good too. You can follow along with the words on the screen, so you can just keep pace there. I won't read all of the chapter four, but we're going to work our, our way through that narrative um, in that whole chapter. So as you guys are making your way there, I just want to share a quick story with you guys. This is a, oftentimes people's favorite part of the service is when I confess things to you, so I'm going to confess something to you. Um, I have this unique ritual that I do every night, and maybe a lot of husbands are like me. There's just some things that they do before they go to bed, and I go to the back door, make sure it's locked, right? Then I make my way to the front door, make sure it's locked. I oftentimes will check the garage door, although I've been known to leave that up all night. I look like the moron in the neighborhood there. <laughs> so me and my neighbor, Brian, across the street, we have a pact. If either one of us leaves our door open, we text the other person just to let them know, you know, you're stupid and shut your door. <laughs> um, and then, and then I make my way upstairs, right, to go to bed. And upstairs, I have two daughters, and I go to each one of their bedrooms. And um, they're typically already asleep at this point. I lean over them. I give them a kiss. And in their sleep, they still wipe it off. It's the strangest thing. <laughs> like, they just, whatever. Okay, I give them a kiss. I love them. Thank you, God, for them. And then I shut their light off. Every night, I have to shut their light off. It is maddening to me, and I'm that guy that would love to save money on energy for sure, but there's a greater reason for this, that um, studies have shown that people sleep better, they rest better if they're sleeping in a dark room. Uh, did I mention my daughters are teenagers? You never know what you're going to get in the morning, right? So the best rest that they can get, it's better for everyone involved, say amen, yes. And, and so I do that, right? And then the next morning, it usually follows up with this. Hey, babe, uh, just wanted to remind you, you forgot to turn your light off again last night. Oh, I'm, I know, Dad, I'm sorry. Okay, but I swear to you, it's the same thing every day, every day, every day. There's this repetition thing. And some people say, well, just quit bringing it up to them. Just don't even bother telling them. Just turn the light off and go on your business. I'm like, no, no, they'll get it. I'm convinced they're going to understand it at some point, right? Before they turn 18 and move out, hallelujah, they're going to understand that they're not supposed to leave the lights on when they go to bed. Uh, there is this real uh, issue in, in mankind that God has created us to sort of learn by repetition, 
You know this to be true. When you were in grade school, remember flashcards from all of your addition and subtraction, right? I don't even need to ask you, like immediately if I say what's six times six, right? Most of you except Michael would say what the answer is. <laughs> Right? Because you, and you don't have to think about it. It's just part of who you are. It's become part of your understanding of everything. And, and the repetition, things like that, is how we learn. I believe that to be true. And so that's why I continue to show them that thing over and over and over again, believing that one day it'll sink in. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this, that the story that we're going to study today in Genesis chapter 4 is the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. Maybe some of you have heard of them. But as we read the narrative that Moses is giving us in Genesis chapter 4, you'll find some, some odd similarities from the narrative that we studied last week in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, the story of Adam and Eve and sin, the, the original sin in the garden and stuff like that. And you'll find that the stories are eerily similar, almost like too eerily similar. I'll give you an example. Adam and Eve last week um, were tempted to sin, but God warned them, don't do it. Don't, don't sin, right? Because something will happen to you. Uh, they succumb to their sin. God comes looking for them after their sin. And then he punishes them for their sin. Sin. He, he removes them from his presence. Uh, Cain, we learn, uh, God removes his face from him. And then he causes them or he forces them out of God's presence to the east. He, he moves Adam and Eve east from the garden. And, and Cain, we'll see today, he pushes them even further east. But it's the same story almost. It's almost identical. And I want you to hear that. It's because I believe God is intending for us to hear the repetition in it so that you and I will understand what he's trying to say to us. That the problem is, what is it that God wants to say to us? What is the thing that God wants to speak through this narrative of Cain and Abel and through the narrative of Adam and Eve? On a cursory view, we might think that it's this, that God is saying this, don't sin or you'll be punished. And that could be the, the sort of moral of the story. The, the problem with that is I just don't, I can't believe that to be true, and here's why. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul writes that um, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. We read that last week. Adam and Eve sinned, and sin has come into the world. You and I, as descendants of Adam and Eve, we have sin inside of us. It's already in us. The option to not sin is, in fact, not an option. So why would the moral of the story be, uh, don't sin or God will punish you? That's no help. Because we already sin. We, that's who we are as people. I think there's something deeper and something greater in the story that Moses wants us to see. There's a greater story in these narratives, and it's this, okay? This is what I think God wants us to understand. Um, God shows love, compassion, and mercy to those people who are rebellious and sinful and choose to do their own things, even when God warns them not to. That's comforting. That's helpful. I want you to picture Israel would have understood this completely and felt comfort in this. Uh, if you remember the story in Exodus chapter 20, I think, uh, Moses goes up a mountain called Sinai, meets with God, gets the Ten Commandments, and before Moses can get the Uber back down to the bottom of the mountain, the people of God are already worshiping a golden calf that they fashioned out of some jewelry that they stole from Egypt. Right? So they, these people understand what it's like to be rebellious, to forget the great things that God has done for them 
to be warned to not make false idols, but still do it anyways. Anyways, these people knew that. And so I think what Moses is saying, yes, sinful people disobey God. Yes, sinful people do the exact opposite that God commands. And yet God in his great love and compassion and mercy still leads them and guides them. Is that helpful? All right. So now we just do one more thing and then we can move into the narrative in Genesis chapter four. Uh, Probably would be good if we spent some time talking about what sin is. Unfortunately, in our culture, we oftentimes minimize sin to just doing bad deeds. I would agree with you that that is sinful to lie and to cheat and steal and all of those things. Those are bad deeds that are sinful, yes? But hear me, there are good deeds that are sinful too. Huh? Give me an example, Jeff. I know, that's what I asked God when he was telling me this. Give me an example of a good deed that's sinful. And he says, Jeff, you remember a number of years ago when the church gathered together at Northeast Community Fund and you delivered all of those Christmas baskets? You remember how you strived really, really hard to get more trips into your vehicle than anyone else did? Do you, do you remember how it made you feel because people noticed you doing all of these good things for the less fortunate people? Do you remember all of that? You see, my friends, that's what the Bible calls pride, narcissism, self-aggrandizing. I was doing these good deeds, but not motivated to honor or bring glory to Jesus. It was for me. That is sinful. So we cannot attribute the definition of of sin to just our deeds. There's something greater going on inside of us. In fact, we could separate sin into two categories. There's capital S sin, right, and small s sin. The capital S sin is driven from the heart condition that we have. The sin that we've inherited from Adam lives inside of us, and this is the disease that we're, dealt, that we're dealing with, the disease of sin that we're born into. But the small S sins are the little symptomatic things that we do because our hearts have a proclivity to do dark, disobedient, sinful things. Are you, are you tracking with me? theologians talk about this a lot. What we're learning in this narrative today through Cain and Abel is that God ultimately will deal with the capital S sins. Hallelujah, praise Jesus, spoiler alert. It's all about Jesus. Thank you for that. But God also wants to address the small S sins in our lives. Did you know this? That if we don't address the small sins, the the stealing, the lying, cheating, that those things will snowball downhill and become larger sins and even larger sins. Some people are nodding at me. You understand this. You live with a man who probably does that, women, right? You know what I'm talking about? Right? That, that's the reality of our world. And yet God, in this narrative, has a remedy for us. That he wants us to understand that when sin enters our life, there's, there's a quick recourse to it. We'll call it repentance. That's what it is. And that's where God is, is leading us to. And repentance, just so you know, is this. It's not just stopping the idiotic thing or the disobedient or the sinful thing that you're doing. It's returning to God. To find your way back to where God is. Because that's the place that God intends for us to be. And this issue of dealing with small s sins in our life, it has to be dealt with through repentance. Repentance is the thing that that literally cuts the legs out from underneath those sins so that they don't uh, continue to snowball and mount and become larger and more destruction and more um, angst and terrible things happening in your lives. So, I felt good. All right, are you guys ready? (laughs) I feel shouty, and that's okay, right? 
It might be just because I'm excited because I don't have to come back tonight. (laughs) This is like a vacation day for me. I don't have to come back and do the six o'clock tonight. So I'm so excited. I get to watch my one football game of the year, um, and I don't even care. Who's in the the Super Bowl? I have no idea. Um, (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, forgive me for yelling. I, I understand it does come from a zeal and from an earnestness that I know comes from you. God, the uh, issue of addressing sin through love and compassion and kindness is important for us to understand. When we begin to see how you look upon us as sinful people who disobey and do dark things, we begin to see your remedy through Jesus Christ differently. We begin to see it was... It was compassion, it was mercy that Jesus would come and he would absorb the punishment for our sins. And it was his choice to do so, that it is in fact his loving kindness that draws us back to himself. So God, I thank you for that and help us to absorb this into our, into our understanding of daily living too so that, that we stop looking at other people differently. Maybe we could be so motivated to look at others with love and compassion and mercy, even though they've wronged us, even though they've sinned against us. May we be people that respond to those things like you do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and you help us today, that you would open our minds, open our eyes and ears to see and to hear, and and soften our hearts to really be motivated by the things of God first and foremost. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I won't read all of the verses in chapter 4, but we'll work through them together. Starting in in verse 1, it says that, that Adam knew his wife, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if you know what I mean, and she conceived and bore a son. (laughs) That's what that means. And she bore the son Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, Eve bears another son, a brother called Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Moses tells us he's a shepherd. And Cain was a worker of the ground. Verse 3, in the course of time, we don't know how long, we don't know what motivated this, but at some point, they, they, Cain brings an offering to the Lord. And it's an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought an offering of worship, basically, to the Lord. And he brings the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And then this is interesting. Interesting. And then it says that the Lord had regard for Abel's, for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, just if we pause here, we can begin to like get judgy about God. <laughs> like, wait a minute, both brothers brought something to you. It's an offering to the Lord. Why? Why is God receiving Abel's offering and not Cain's offering? Why would the it's kind of jerk move, God? I'll be honest with you. I don't know what you're thinking there. But here's the reality that we have to understand kind of before we go any further about these narratives in Scripture. There are things that we are never told in Scripture. We, we don't really know what, what's happening here. Moses doesn't give us some of the details. Now, fortunately, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us this unique thing about Abel and his offering. He just says in, uh, I think it's Hebrews 11, that Abel brought his offering to the Lord by faith. 
that there's something significant there, that he's doing this in an act of worship unto God, but Cain does, is not mentioned of having faith. It appears that Cain is just doing something, maybe possibly, who knows, because his brother's doing it. Oh, is today the offering day? Let me just grab some stuff here and just throw it to the Lord. And, and let's be honest, the Lord knows everything, yes? He, he sees our hearts, he sees inside every motive, he knows exactly what's going on, and he says, Cain, I do not accept your offering. Now, can you just agree with me? He gets to choose what he accepts and doesn't accept. He doesn't choose Cain's offering for a reason that he knows and maybe we don't. And this causes Cain to be angry. We keep reading. He says in verse six, sorry, at the end of verse five, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain became angry and it said, and his face fell. But look what the Lord does. He immediately comes to Cain and he says this, these words to him. He asks him this question. Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Now, hear me. Sin has just kind of birthed out of Cain's heart. He's jealous of his brother. Something's going on. Why won't he accept my offering? I don't know. He's angry. And God sees this in him. And God moves quickly with love and compassion, again, and mercy to Cain and says, hey, 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 check yourself. Where this is headed is not going to end well for you. He gives, hear me, he gives Cain an opportunity to repent right there. He gives Cain this opportunity to stop. Don't take this any further. But Cain is, is so incensed and so frustrated and so angered. He can't be stopped. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, verse 7, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do well, listen, sin is crouching at the door, God says. Here's what's crouching at the door. Murder. Anger will escalate to murder if you do not chop the legs off of it right here. God's love to him is to speak to him about the issues in his life. Has anyone in this room ever been spoken to about the issues in your life by the Lord? Maybe through a friend, maybe while you're studying scripture and God says, I see you, knock it off. Anyone? Ha, huh, I'm the only one. That's fine. I don't care. Listen, the, yes. Yes. If you think that's God being judgy, you're misunderstanding his motives. The one who lives outside of time sees where this thing is headed for you. He, he sees where that thought goes next. He's, he's watched men entertain thoughts about coworkers and over months, it develops into something that it was never intended to be. He's seen this. And when God addresses it in our lives, we must respond, not like Cain, but respond willfully desiring to go back to where God is and to stop this thing right here. But Cain is so seemingly caught on himself, he can't stop. Sin, murder is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Listen, you must rule over it. You must command this thing to go away. And Cain refuses. Cain plots something here in verse 8. Cain speaks to his brother Abel. Uh, other manuscripts tell us that he invites Abel out into a field with him. I picture it like this. Hey, bro, I found this really cool rock out in the field. You should come see it with me. And when Abel walks out there, he picks up said rock and bashes in his skull with it. And it says, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. The word of the Lord came to pass. Sin is crouching. Murder was crouching at the door. And here it is. 
So the Lord then comes to Cain, like he did to Adam and to Eve, and he said, hey, where is Abel your brother? And he says famously, I do not know. I am not my brother's keeper, right? Cain lies, so he's angered. Now he's murdered people, and now he's lying to God about it. Do you see how this thing is just ramping up? It's getting worse and worse and worse. He premeditated this murder. He knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. The Lord says, no, 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 I've seen what you have done. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Verse 11, and now you, Cain, are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now listen to this, verse 12. He says, when you work the ground, Cain, and remember, Cain was kind of a farmer. He worked the ground. His brother Abel was the shepherd. He's the farmer. He says, now, because of what you've done, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You just lost everything. You, you can't even provide for yourself now. And this is, a, this is because you chose to go down this road. It's over. It's done. And he says, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And here in verse 13, we hear sort of the apology. I air quote that because it doesn't sound like much of an apology to me. But Cain begins to speak to God and he says to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Almost with tears in his eyes, you think he would go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. I shouldn't have done that. He can't even do it then. He says, I can't take what you're punishing me with. This is way too much for me. Again, narcissism, selfishness. He, is, he has no regard for the things of God in his life. And when God punishes him on it, he even says, that's too hard for me. And the Lord's like, tough. <laughs> he says, you've driven me out, driven me today away from the ground. Can't provide for myself or my family. You've driven me from your face. I'm going to be hidden from you. I'm going to be a fugitive. It's this picture of a person who's escaped punishment. Like he's a jailbreak guy. He's just living under rocks, trying to just eke out an existence. And, and here's the, where the real fear comes in. I'm going to be a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me is going to kill me. See, there was a form of justice in Cain's day. You've probably heard of it. It sounds like this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And see, if Cain was, was to have murdered someone, which he has done, then the just penalty for that was murder. Someone had the right, if not the obligation, to, to seek justice on Abel and to murder Cain as well. He knows this. He says, Lord, if you send me out, I won't be able to take this. I can't provide for myself. Whatever shall I do? Your presence will be hidden from me. I'm leaving my mom and dad, my family, everyone that I know, sending me into a place I've never been before. And then if anyone finds me out there, they'll kill me because I've killed someone. And then God lovingly and beautifully intervenes. I need you to hear this. God deals with sinners with love, compassion, and mercy. Look, look what he says in verse 15. The Lord said to Cain, not so. If anyone kills you, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The number seven, again, meaning completeness, fullness, in totality. Cain, if somebody harms you, I will address it. I will take care of it. And then the Lord does this loving, compassionate, merciful thing. He places a mark on Cain and says, anyone who 
would find him would attack him unless they see this mark on him. So Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord and settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This mark is a, um, a hotly debated topic or whatever um, in Christendom for millennia. We've been debating what this mark exactly was. We don't know. Moses doesn't tell us. Can I just lovingly tell you? Then it doesn't matter. <laughs> if God wanted us to know, wouldn't he have told us? But look, what, looks what, look what's happened. Because we don't know what the mark is specifically, some people have begun to interpret the Bible scriptures in a way that fits their sort of agenda. In the 18th century, for example, many Europeans and Americans interpreted that scripture to, to be this, that the curse of Cain, the mark of Cain was dark skin. That the people who are black, have black skin, are just descendants of Cain and therefore deserve justice to be given to them. They deserve to be wanderers on the earth. They deserve to be punished and to be treated inhumanely. And you can see how this pushed forward the institution of slavery in the new world, right? You can see this. Hear me, that's, that's not what this says. We, we can never interpret the Bible to say something it does not say. Thank you. That's stupid. That's stupid. Secondly, I don't think the mark is part of the curse. It's not. It's God's mercy. He says, no, 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 no. No one will touch you. Here, stump, he marks him. I don't know what it looks like. Some people say maybe put a cross on his forehead. That's beautiful and poetic and points to Jesus. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I don't know. But know this. Other people knew what it meant. We, we should not focus so much on what the mark is, but rather what the mark did. Okay, two things. Number one, uh, mark, the mark on Cain was with him forever. It was a permanent thing. He could not hide it. He could not remove it. And every time Cain saw his reflection, right, maybe in a pool of water or something, he was reminded of who he was. He was reminded of the things that he had done. He's reminded that he killed his brother. He was reminded that at any moment someone should kill him, but God has intervened on his behalf. And for his entire life, he was reminded of that thing. Now, that's, this is very picturesque of our lives, that you and I sometimes will be just sitting there watching a television show with a friend or a spouse, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the flood of memories of things that you've done, you've sinned in your previous life, right? Before you knew Jesus, maybe, right? The horrible things that you've done, the, the wake of destruction that you've left in your life, all of a sudden, it comes flooding back into your mind again. And when that happens, we need to be like Cain and remember, uh, I'm... I praise God so much that he'd given me Jesus to address the penalty for my sin, even of those things that when I didn't know him and I sinned against him, he still lovingly gave me Jesus. So the mark reminds, reminds Cain of who he was and the work that God has done in his life. And then secondly, we need to see the mark the way God sees it. God places this mark on him to protect him, not to shame him. And others knew to leave Cain alone or face God's judgment. Here it is. It's as if God is saying, I know what he's done. I'll take care of it. Now, look, like, look down the row with some of the people you're sitting with. Wouldn't it be better if we just let God deal with those people instead of us trying to deal with them? Maybe you don't know the person sitting next to you, but if you, if you really know the person sitting next to you, maybe your spouse, you're like, man, I wish God would get him on that. And the Lord is saying, 
But the Lord is saying, listen, I know. What he's done is not escaped. It has not escaped my purview. I see exactly what he's done. And I, he says, will take care of it. Don't you worry about it. Now, we, we pause here and then we begin to see that God moves Cain to the east. He moves away from his family. This and, that. and then we, for the next few verses, Moses tells us the story of, of Cain having some sons. And no sons have sons and no sons have sons. And the population is continuing to grow. And then this really unique thing happens. The Bible tells us that Cain then de- sort of develops the first city, the first urban place that the world had ever seen. Remember, Cain used to be a farmer. And God banished him from doing farm work. And he moves and he creates the first urban center, the first city. And he begins to grow and prosper. And listen, and his sons continue to do incredible things. In Genesis chapter 3, I think the Lord talked to Adam and Eve and he says, listen, you should, ha- you should rule over the fish of the sea. Is that right? Yeah, fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. I get that backwards sometimes. You should rule over those things and take dominion over those things. Here is Cain, who is rebellious against God, who has sinned against God, who has been marked by God, and God is using him to take dominion over the earth. The world is being blessed because of the work that Cain is doing. Is this strange? Cain's descendants, they invent music, the Bible tells us. They invent culture and art. He's doing exactly what God told them to do, to take dominion over the earth. But he's a sinful person. And so are you. Do you ever live in the tension of how God still continues to bless you even though you know the horrible things you've done? How is this even possible? It's God's love, it's his love, it's his compassion, and it's his mercy. God is going to address this issue in Cain's life. He's going to address the issue in your life, but he does it on his time when he's ready. He says, I will take care of it. And how is he going to take care of it? Genesis chapter 3 tells us that the devil who tempted Adam and Eve to first sin has to be addressed. And he's going to address the devil, the serpent, through the seed of a woman, through one of the offsprings of Eve. The problem is this, Abel's now dead. Cain has been banished from God's presence. Whatever shall we do, we ask. And then Moses lovingly comes back to the story in verse 25. And he says this. And Adam knew his wife, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) They're married, right? So Adam knew his wife, and again she bore a son, and she called his name Seth. And she says these words, God has appointed for me another offspring. Cain has killed Abel. It can't be Abel, but God promised an offspring would defeat sin, would defeat the devil, would defeat these things. And God has promised me that. And here he's given me another offspring instead of Abel and instead of Cain. <laughs> and it says, to Seth was also a son born. They called his name Enosh. A little side note. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In Luke chapter 3, Luke gives us the genealogy of Jesus the seed of a woman who would come to crush Satan's head, who would come to deal a death blow to Satan himself. And in that genealogy of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, we see Seth's name listed here. It is, it is the promise of God that he will fulfill. He says these words to everyone who will listen. I see what they've done. I'm going to take care of it. And when the time was right, Jesus came. 
Jesus bankrupt himself, left heaven, came to earth, and absorbed the punishment of sin upon his own body, you and I would probably agree Cain deserves punishment, right? But if we were to look in the mirror, I would say, so do I. And, and God placed that punishment upon Jesus. And then this strange exchange, the great exchange, I think is what Martin Luther calls it, that Jesus ab absorbs our death so that we could have his life. And in this moment, the Bible also tells us in the New Testament that, that we become new creatures, that there's this faith thing that happens inside of us. When we believe by faith on this work that Jesus has done for us, we are no longer bound to the sinful things. The capital S sin issue, the disease issue in our heart has been reconciled. Ezekiel, the prophet from the Old Testament, said that, that God will one day come and give you a new heart he will take out the stony heart that's inside of you, the stony heart that has a proclivity to disobey, to sin against God, even when God's challenging you not to do it. Even, you, even when you willfully disobey, he's gonna take out that heart that drives that direction and replace a new heart inside of you, one that beats to the heartbeat of God, one that gives you the desire to do good and godly things. In... Um, Matthew chapter 5, and I'll finish with this, and we'll get ready to take communion. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had just collected some disciples, so some students, some friends, if you will. He's got kind of a little motorcycle club, I guess it looks like. right? He's just got some friends. They have jerseys and stuff. It's awesome. It's okay. Everybody's leaving now. We're getting some communion stuff ready. Don't panic. It's fine. <laughs> Boy, he really made them mad, didn't he? <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Jesus has some disciples, and they're gathered together, and people are starting to gather around Jesus. Multitudes, the masses, large groups, whatever this looks like, hundreds, thousands, a lot of people. And at one point in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Jesus went up the side of a mountain with his disciples, and he sat down, and he began to preach. He began to teach the people, which I find interesting. How's come I'm the guy that's standing and you guys are sitting down? When in Jesus' day, he got to sit down and you guys stood up. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that next week. Does that sound okay? <laughs> Jesus is speaking to his disciples um, and to the masses that listen. And he says these words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. He says, you have heard it heard that it was said to those of old, the old timers will remember, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is a quote from the Old Testament um, book of Exodus uh, with the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. That's one of the big ones. And Jesus says, you've heard this. You know this to be true. But then he adds something to it. But I say to you, Jesus, the Son of God says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, is liable to judgment. Do you hear the story of Cain here? Do you hear God's love towards Cain? He, when he first rushes into him and says, I see your heart. I know you're angry at him, but if you don't check this, it's gonna go south for you. Jesus is, is intimating that motivation to, to get people to stop before it gets too far. He's, he's speaking to the capital S issue of our lives. That it's not, it's not that murder is bad because it takes a life. Murder is bad because it's first birthed in the heart from anger and 
and frustration and tension. And then it gives birth to something greater and more wicked. What God wants to do through Jesus is address that thing inside of us. Jesus spends time with these Jewish men and women who knew the Old Testament, who knew those commandments from God, and he has to explain it in a different way. What Jesus begins to do in Matthew chapter 5 is begins to explain how the kingdom of God works. If you've ever been angry with your brother, you'll face judgment. If you insult your brother, you'll face judgment. Whoever says, you fool, to someone. I think I did that yesterday. You will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus wants anger removed from us. He wants that thing that drives us to insult others removed from us. And he can only do that not through religious discipline, not through church attendance, not through giving, thank you. It's through his son, Jesus. The story of Cain and Abel, the story of Jesus. Jesus says, I see you. I see you. I'll take care of it. I see it. I'll take care of it. I see it. I'll take care of it. And as I prayed earlier, if we could just begin to live a life that looked like this, to see how God dealt with love and compassion and mercy towards us, rebellious sinners, then we too should be able to respond that way to others. Oh, oh, the internet would implode if we were actually nice to the world. <laughs> I, I pause here and I know it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me too. I'm the guy who's supposed to be saying something. But when I pause, I'm just asking the Lord. I'm just saying, Lord, what is it that we need to hear today? What is it? The nine o'clock has come and gone. Now we're here gathered. What is it that you want to say to us? I, um, I walked in the, the gallery here this morning. I was talking to a friend of mine. And he says, Jeff, how, how are you doing? Are you ready? He knows I deal with a certain level of anxiety. If you don't know me, I'm a, kind of a nervous Nelly. I don't say that kind of funny, but I, it's just a, a comical way to say that I, I get stressed out a lot. And just so you know this, Sunday mornings is the most stressful day of my week. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified to preach most weeks. I'm terrified that I'll say something wrong. I'm terrified that I'll, I'll paint Jesus in the wrong light. I'm terrified. And I, and I carry this all the time. I always feel like I'm making mistakes. I always feel like I'm doing it wrong. I always feel like I'm going to harm more people than do good for people. And as I'm sharing this with a friend of mine, he just said, how you doing, bro? He goes, I don't need to know your life story. But when I shared this with him, I just heard the, the, the Lord whisper to me, do you trust me? Do you trust me is what he says to me. So I guess I think the Lord would want us to know, do you trust him? So here's a thought for some of you. That sinful thing in your life that you're desperate to get out, that you will pull out with every weed puller you could possibly imagine, and yet you have no success. 
Like those thoughts still come to you and you don't know why. And you, you have a couple good weeks and then a couple bad days and a couple good weeks and a couple bad days. And you can't seem to get the recurring hamster wheel of that, that horrible, wicked thought out of your mind. You can't stop thinking about that person at work, even though you know you're married to someone else. And all of these things, all of that stuff that's going on in our lives, I need you to hear God saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me to, to, to let me change your heart? Do you trust me to let me change the motivations for your life? Or do you want to continue to do it your way? I think God would have us receive the mark of Jesus and let him do it his way. Is that okay? Amen? All right, all right. So I want to leave some time for my friend Blake, who's going to come up, and we're going to take communion together as a family. And if you're visiting with us, we're so thankful that you've come. We serve an open communion here. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. You're welcome to take a cracker and a little cup of juice when it passes your lap. You're also welcome to not take a cracker or some juice when it crosses your lap. Either way is fine with me. But we, we are doing this... Um, in honor of Jesus, who says, do these things in remembrance of me. And uh, the cracker has a symbol that Blake will talk about. The juice has a symbol that Blake will talk about. But you're welcome to join with us. So I'm going to pray. They're going to come up, and we'll do this together. Um, Lord, we thank you for our time again today. Help us to be transformed by the work that you do. We love you. As we remember the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross, help us to be honest with you today. Help us to fully receive the work that Jesus has done, not to rest upon our own work, but on your work alone. We worship you. We thank you. We have gratitude and thankfulness because of what he's done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.